is, as we have done, to invoke the name of God. And this is, uh, if there's a God and he has a name, <laughs> that uh, then the idea is that that name has some sacred, uh, inherent sacredness in it. And this is a, is a, is perhaps universally embraced by the different uh, religious traditions of the world, and they speak about it in different ways. I think in the Bible it must say something like that in the, in the beginning there was the Word or something like that, and there's some emphasis on the name of God, and hallowed be thy name. I was a Catholic boy, so that was one for us. Hallowed be thy name um, was one of the, part of one of the prayers. So, um, so it is with the Christian tradition and in the, in the Judaic tradition. Tradition, you have the, a similar idea, idea that the name is sacred, so sacred that it's thought. I believe that you can't say it. Hmm. Um, this is this is an idea that we um, would appear to differ uh, with, but not really. Um, we would. We, we, it, it, I think it seeks to say that the name is so sacred that it's really beyond um, mundane words or, or God, the absolute, the nature of transcendence is that it, speech tries to go there and returns. Thought tries to go there and returns. And it cannot be captured by thought, um, cannot be captured by by speech, um, and of course, we think that there's more to life than what meets the eye, and the mind, or the tongue, and the ear, and the mind. And the more is is ourselves, as I often say, consciousness. And and in that sense, looking at ourselves as units of consciousness, and we are, have a likeness. To God, and just as you cannot really definitively speak about consciousness, which is required for such speaking, it precedes, if you will, you will, everything. So it's hard to talk about it. It's it's doing the talking, so to speak. It's uh, hard to measure that which is the measuring. Uh, instrument or unit itself. Hmm? By consciousness, we measure things. We we posit value um, in 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 um, in the objective world and so forth. So, um, so as intangible as consciousness is, so too I suppose, and more so, is 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 God. The idea of God being the reservoir of, of consciousness, but that doesn't make the Godhead or ourself. As I'm speaking about it, not like whether you have a soul or not. Idea. I mean, you don't ask whether you have consciousness or not. That's not really a question. So in Vedanta, of course, consciousness is what is the Platonic uh, soul, and that Christians have adopted, uh, and more. Some have adopted the Aristotelian, the Thomists, soul. That would be a little bit of a different idea. But um, but the fact that, regardless that 
that as I'm speaking about it, consciousness is somewhat in, in, intangible, uh, hard to grasp, impossible to fully define. Any, any definition of it um, is almost self-defeating. That's often spoken about in the uh, in the in the text of Vedanta, in a positively in a negative way, by way of saying it's not this, it's not that, neti neti neti. Uh, it's not a, a thing, hmm? and because it's not like anything, not being a thing, then it's difficult to define it because we define things, as I often say, by way of comparison. Hmm? So it's not like anything of the objective world. It, it escapes definition, and so much more so than God, in a sense. But that does not make them less meaningful or important in our life. Indeed, that speaks to us about how important the self. In a, in, a, in, a, in, in a sense in which I'm speaking about it is, how important God is. In other words, there is something that, is, that, that, that transcends speech, transcends thought, and, and we're constituted of that. It's very extraordinary, and it, uh, it, 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 it gives us, um, uh, the, it lays before us the exciting prospect of how to pursue and understand that, uh, which is, how do you understand something beyond thought? How do you describe something beyond words? And of course, the teaching is that you are that, and you and you think you're not to some extent. But the very thinking that you do is evidence that, that you are <laughs> that, and and so you have to, you have to become that, so to speak. You have to let go, if you will, of your identification. Um, um, Arising from the measuring that that you do, hmm? measuring and and by measuring I mean you know you know in a broader sense that I measure that I'm an American, I make a measurement a boundary for myself and and um, or a man or or a woman and so on and so forth. So consciousness, God, and the name of God. Uh, so when the Judaic tradition says, well, then so holy we cannot. Utter it. There's a similar saying, saying in the in the Vedanta. It's what is that saying? Tattu. Is it? Uh, uh, forgive me, I can't remember the Sanskrit. But that from which uh, the implication is uh, uh, speech returns, as I said earlier, mind returns, trying to go there. Uh, some traditions of Vedanta say, therefore, the nature of the Godhead, the absolute consciousness. Brahman is such that you cannot speak about it, you cannot, it's beyond thought, beyond speech. We, so this is similar to what the Judaic tradition is saying. In our nuanced uh, um, form of Vedanta, we say it a little bit differently. The Godhead is that about which one cannot say enough. So you could never capture it with words, but, but there's still much to be said uh, about it. So, at any rate, we have the idea in Christianity, in the Jewish uh, tradition as well, that there's some sacredness to the, to the logos, to the name of, of God. We find it in the Islamic tradition as well, which I'm not that familiar with either, but I, I believe they have some 99 names of God and, and a rosary also. We were, as Catholics, we had the rosary. Um, and... Um, 
those are some of the biggies out there, I guess, the, uh, the Abrahamic uh, religions. And then even in the Buddhist tradition, we have some, uh, uh, depends who you talk to, um, within the, the Buddhist world, but um, we also have at least one sect of Buddhists that, that uh, uh, consider sacred the name of Buddha, Amitabha Buddha, and they're chanting the name of Buddha. And if you listen to the, 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 uh, the teaching on that, you think you're right there in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Just got the Buddha's name instead of Krishna. There's so many efficacy of the name, its power, and, and so forth for de- deliverance is emphasized and spoken about in a way that's uh, very much parallels our tradition. So this is a fairly um, universally uh, accepted idea amongst the religious tradition. And in the secular world, of course, the idea plays out as well. What's in a name? Hmm? There's a lot in a name, therefore we say, did you get his name? You know, someone was here, did you get his name? Did he leave his name? Because if you get his name, then you can get him. The idea is you can, you can capture him. Hmm? Now, of course, they have the um, identity theft is popular, uh, crime, and it's all about getting your identification, your name, your, your social security number, which is we're all numbers. In one sense, in the in the in the, uh, in the Western society, and if they've got your number, then they can take your bank account and your whole your whole identity, basically. So, also the idea that uh, there is power in sound, perhaps something that has not been explored as deeply as there are power, as there is power in 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 in, in fire, hmm? power in water. Hmm? power in, in, in earth, hmm? earth, water, fire, so uh, power in air. You know, we use these things, to, technologically speaking, to accomplish um, interesting, um, sometimes wonderful things and sometimes things that are but a distraction. Um, and so similarly with sound, it's possible theoretically to do extraordinary things, just like with fire, we've done extraordinary things, the computer, the internet, but from fire, hmm? electricity, if you kind of boil it down. So what can you do with sound? This is uh, uh, something that has, I don't think, has been exploited as much, but it, it, it may lend itself, it does lend itself um, to as much or more than what we can do with, with fire. Hmm? So in principle, if you also make loud, you know, speak loud enough, then you will be heard. And in mass, especially, has been has has become a powerful um, medium for for change. If you get uh, some banners and a, several hundred thousand people converge on Washington, shouting something, hmm, then maybe you will be be heard, and it'll bring about affect some change, and so on and so forth. So. If we look at this way from a secular perspective or from a religious perspective, the idea of invoking sacred sound is not something that, that's, that is that uh, uh, foreign to us. Hmm? Then if we turn a little bit to Christianity as well, um, we find another uh, statement or two that I think um, is worth e- exploring. And uh, we, we, we touched on it indirectly in our 
previous two discussions. I know there are the Ten Commandments there, and then there is the coming of the Christ in Eastern Revelation and kind of a new uh, addition, if you will, kind of a from law to love shift. We have this in, uh, in our tradition as well. We have the, the, the Vedas, the Upanishads, and then the Bhagavatam. And it shifts the whole, the whole, it shifts from law to, 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 to love. It's a veritably a New Testament, the Bhagavatam. Um, that Shruti Sara may come, it replaces the Shruti, hmm? the previous text, the Upanishads and so forth. We don't need it anymore. Hmm? And um, so there's a parallel there. But the, what I'm getting to is, is the idea in Christianity that besides the Ten Commandments, there they, they're not replaced in a sense, but in a sense they are, as I understand it very generally, in Christianity by ideas like love thy God with all thy heart and soul. That's very positive. A lot of the commandments are kind of negative. Don't do this and don't do that. So if you love your God with all your heart and soul, then you know the other things are automatically in place, something like that. It's a very positive kind of way of presenting it um, and uh, we have a statement also to similar like that to remember Vishnu never forget him this is the, the sum and substance of all the rules and regulations if you do that everything you don't have to worry about any, anything but uh, besides in Christianity love thy God with all thy heart and soul we have Another follow, following statement, as I understand it, that um, that is worth mentioning, and that is, and love thy neighbor as thyself. So these are two interesting concepts that are similar, they're connected, but they're distinct at the same time. Therefore, they are mentioned separately as, as, as in one sense, the essence of, of Christianity. Hmm? Love God with all your heart and soul and love your neighbor like yourself. In Gaudiya Vaishnavism, we say, Bhaktivinoda Thakur said it like this, that he said, what? Jive doi Krishna nam sarvadharma sar. We've already made the point that, that God, slightly, I guess, uh, we could elaborate on it further, that God is non-different from his name. If you get his name, then you could, you could get him, something like that. We have a whole... Dharma of the name, while different religious traditions embrace this principle uh, to one extent or another, and even in the secular world there's the idea that there's power to sound and so forth. This has been very much uh, developed theologically in Gaudiya Vaishnavism um, more than any other religious tradition. The idea of the efficacy of the name, the, the extent to which the God is present in, 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 the, in the name, uh, the virtue of the name um, the not only the the non-difference between the name of God and the Godhead, but at the same time a difference in which the name is seen to be more generous than the named coming to us, even when the named is appears to be not present. We find in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu taking the name of Krishna. Krishna didn't appear to be present to everyone around him, but taking the name, it was apparent. But Krishna was present within him, as he, by the way in, in which the name affected him so extraordinarily. Um, 
as I've said before, it's one thing to not believe in God, but it's a little harder not to believe in, in love of God hmm? when we, if we come in touch with it in the real sense of the term. Um, that means a wise kind of love of God that, in, that um, it brings about the kind of transformations that we find in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that are very extraordinary. There's nothing like that in the history of um, the religious world. The measure, the extent of his ecstasy, basically, as I said the other night, Gaudi Vaishnavism is about studying, exploring the ecstasy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. That's what it is. It's a very interesting idea, a study of ecstasy, hmm? not the drug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a popular idea. Uh, so, um, so, uh, so to love God and God is the name here. This is my point. Hmm? A, a form in which we, we find that, that God is present in different religious traditions and in our own in a very prominent way and brings about extraordinary change and transformation in a person, hmm? um, in their character, hmm? their behavior, in how they think about themselves. Uh, it makes them, if they're taking the name, chanting the name appropriately with attention and so forth, it makes them humble. Hmm? And and from there, as I said the other night, the flexibility that's required for being a little humble um, uh, it will... Mahaprabhu Shichitanya said, if you can chant this name with humility, in, in no short measure, he compared it like the, the straw on the street or the blade of grass. If you step on a blade of grass, it just bends over. It doesn't complain. Hmm? Something like that. He gave this type of example. This kind of humility with a tolerance like that of a tree that stands even when it's cold, it gives you heat. When it rains, it gives you shelter. Hmm? When it's hot, it gives you shade. If you cut it down, it doesn't complain. Hmm? Uh, extraordinary measure of tolerance and humility. He, he cited these as part of the fourfold decorum of his devotees, hmm? devotees of the name. Hmm? And he said that if you can chant with, decorated with these qualities, this kind of humility and tolerance and offering respect to others without the expectation of, of getting honor for yourself, this kind of chanting, that will bring prem. And that means kampashu, pulakadaya, all these kind of transformations, for example, that we found in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the ecstasy that I'm speaking about. Hmm? that made him such an extraordinary uh, religious figure, such an extraordinary religious figure that I've quoted in one of my books, uh, a Christian theologian who, who um, s stated that he knew, could not think of anyone in the religious world that more uh, embodied the love of God that Christianity speaks about than the person of Sri Krishna Chaitanya. And then he went on to speak about him a little bit who on the seashore of, the, of, of, of Jagannath Puri would chant the name and fall into a swoon and, and, and weep and, and um, um, undergo ecstatic transformations, the likes of which upon seeing 
other people would would catch it. Hmm? Some people in the academic community, uh, the the um, among the Orientalists, the first British uh, scholars to go and and look at the Hindu um, religion from a, from an academic, but from a bias, from a Christian bias, they uh, first started to write about Hinduism and, and explore the books with a view to to wean the heathens from their um, um, paganism and bring them to the true relig- religion was the kind of idea. It's got a, a bad name now, of course, because it was a very biased type of um, um, study. Um, yeah, well, the Orientalists. Um, of course, as an aside, they, they, they when they came to Vishnu Bhakti, they thought, this is similar hmm, to what we're... We're, we're talking about. But when they came to Krishna, hmm, which is really the center of Vishnu Bhakti, they said, oh, it all goes to hell right here. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this immoral person. They, they're playing up as God and so forth. But when it comes to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, of course, then we find Krishna not as the enjoyer, hmm, the center, which is not a bad thing. As I've told before a story that a Christian asked uh, or made a statement that, that in your religion, God is this enjoyer. In our religion, God is this sac- embodiment of sacrifice. So obviously, our God is, is better than yours. And, and I replied, if you are to sacrifice, which is noble and desirable, there has to be some center for which you're sacrificing, which is, the in- which is receiving on the other end. If I sacrifice, I give up something to what? To nothing? To to to, to, to someone? Hmm? Just like all of the parts of the body, the thinking part, hmm? the 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 the, the um, part that makes us mobile, our legs, our arms, hmm? even our ears, all parts of the body, our tongue, they all work really in the bottom line to serve the stomach, because ultimately you have to eat to live. So they're all really involved in that, especially in an agrarian-based culture where you have to grow the food, you have to walk, you have to use your hands, and you have to learn with your ears how to grow and how to water seed and so on and so forth. The whole body is in one sense working for the stomach because if, if we don't cooperate with the stomach to supply food there, then none of the parts of the body will be nourished because no part of the body can do with the food what the stomach can do with the food, which is to take it and transform it in such a way that it goes to every part and nourishes it. Hmm? So such is the nature of the center that from one perspective, it is the center, the enjoyer, the stomach is enjoying it. But in the context of enjoying it, it's transforming it and distributing it everywhere like no other part can. Hmm? So, yes, Krishna, we is God is depicted in our tradition as an enjoyer, as the center, to whom the sacrifice is offered. But at a closer look, of course, this is the nature of love. That's why I say, if you're controlled by love, it's not a problem. If you're controlled physically, that's a problem. Hmm? If someone's locked you in a room and you can't get out, then that'll be a problem. If you're controlled mentally, then there's another problem. You might not realize you're being controlled. It's that, it's that bad. Hmm? Someone will have to come and say, you've got to get out of that relationship. It's bad for you. 
he's abusing you. Hmm? And so it's, it's, it's more subtle, but it's more powerful hmm? than the physical control. You might not even know, as I say, you're being controlled. Or you tend to go into psychological denial of it because there's something you get out of it. So you need help to get out of that. Now, if we go from physical control to mental control to being controlled, mental, intellectual, to be controlled by the heart, now, that is more comprehensive <laughs> still. Hmm? But it's not a bad thing. That is a good thing. If we're controlled by love, then that which is controlling us is also controlled. That's unavoidable. If you love me, really, and I'm swayed by that, so then I love you, and you'll be swayed by that. So Krishna, the center, in Gaudi Vaishnavism, is depicted like this, controlling everything by affection. And he's depicted as being very affectionate, so forth. But besides that, when the Orientalists came to, and some of them did, uh, to study Chaitanya Vaishnavism, where Krishna is the center, they of course misunderstood, but then you come to Krishna, Krishna Chaitanya, this hmm? Krishna starts looking better when you look at Chaitanya Mahaprabhu because he was a such mor- so morally strict and, 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 and uh, um, a... And embodied the embodiment of sacrifice. This is the side, as we were talking the other night, that he is Radha. He is Krishna, but he is Radha also, sacrificing, giving. Hmm? And his his ecstasy that our tradition is about, as I'm speaking in one sense, the Orientalists thought, yes, then he had epilepsy or something like that. He kept falling into these swoons and trances and passing out and so on and so forth. The counter to which, of course, I'd like to invoke is that, of course, it was a contagious type of epilepsy. Hmm? That is a new uh, strand of it. Hmm? And so, as I was saying, simply by seeing his ecstasy, people were transformed. Hmm? Very extraordinary example in the um, uh, religious world of, as this one theologian had said, that he thought more embodied hmm, or personified the love of God that Christ spoke about in the Eastern, Western revelation than any other person in the religious history that he could think of. That's a very generous, uh, not a generous statement, I think it's an accurate statement, but we don't often find that people are generous <laughs> in, in, if, of one religion, people of one religion are generous in speaking about another we're trying to get beyond that here today. Indeed, uh, what to speak of being generous with other religious people, with secular people hmm, as well, who are really interested in finding truth and have not found arguments for God to be very compelling. There, there are some pretty bad arguments uh, for the existence of God. Um, and um, And... There are some pretty bad examples of so-called love of God. We would like to think that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is a very good example. Apparently some people uh, agree with us. And as we are involved, as I say, in a study of his ecstasy, there's a reason for that. We're not just studying it academically, hmm? but we're studying it and hopefully as a result it's becoming contagious and we are become that ecstasy. Hmm? 
that means, as I said earlier, we are to become consciousness. That means that means we are consciousness, but we are to become it by way of letting go of our objective identification with the world, our measured sense of reality that, that limits us. Hmm? I've given the example before. The salt doll wanted to taste the salt ocean. Hmm? So it entered the ocean, and it had to become the ocean, so to speak. The ocean is full of salt. So we have to dissolve, if you will, our objective sense, uh, our measured sense. We measure the world, we, we calculate it, and we, 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 we draw conclusions, and, and we live within the confines of those measurements. Measurements like, this is good. I measure, this is bad. Hmm? This is happy, this is sad, this is hot, this is cold, and there's an identity that's formed. Hmm? That is to be dissolved. Hmm? To know, then, by experience, that you are consciousness, and we are seeking to do that through this chanting of Krishnanam in such a way that not only we come to know that we are consciousness and different from matter, but to know what is the potential highest reach of consciousness, kind of the consciousness of consciousness that, that we feel that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is the very embodiment of. So you are to become that ecstasy. It sounds a little challenging. Uh, the word sounds good, ecstasy, but then you see that as he entered into that, there was not much prospect for an ordinary life. Hmm? So we, we sometimes want to make our tradition appear ordinary, and it's okay, and it, it's we're also you know normal people, but our, our normal being normal people is not so exciting. <laughs> it's not really our 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 ideal in a, in a sense hmm? to be normal, but rather to be diff to think differently, as I guess it was maybe Stephen Jobs coined the phrase. Um, think differently. That's a good idea. Hmm? And uh, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is is very much of, in the vanguard of that with his Namsan Kirtan. Hmm? And um, and and with the idea, while there are similarities, there are differences. But if we if we take the similarities in the religious traditions and really play them out, we find they're saying the same thing. So love God with your heart and soul, and love your neighbor like yourself. Let's talk about those a little bit. Love God with your heart and soul. Of course, how do we do that? Hmm? We do that by chanting, and I don't think that invoking the name, for example, of Christ or something would be any would be thought of any, any differently. How do you love God? You know, it's kind of like, well, <laughs> you, a lot of people think in the religious world, well, you love God by loving the people. Hmm? But these two are separate as, as, as they are given in Christianity. As I said earlier, love God with your heart and soul and love your neighbor like yourself. They're not merged together. They're two separate. They're, they're related, hmm? but they're different. So if the teaching, even in Christianity, is not that love your neighbor like yourself, love people, and that's what loving, loving God constitutes. You can err on that side, hmm? or you can err on the other side by loving God at the expense of loving your neighbor like yourself. They're, they're, they're interrelated but different, and both have to be um, embraced. And as I say, in our tradition, it's said 
by Bhakti Vinod Thakur. Uh, similarly, Jibedoi Krishna Nam Dharma Sar, the essence of, of Dharma or right livelihood, living a, appropriately, is to is to um, is to Krishna Nam to love God. This is a practical way of loving God. It's very different from loving the people. Hmm? In fact, if we sit and chant, people say, "Well, what about the people?" Hmm? Seems selfish. You're sitting and chanting, but people are hungry. Hmm? Um, <laughs> so it's a, it's 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 I say it's different but related. So we don't we put the two together. Hmm? Chant Krishna Nam and show kindness to others. And in the Gita, the measure of that kindness is spoken of in the same way that is spoken of in the Christian tradition when it says, "Love thy neighbor as thyself." The Gita says. The yogi who is actually fully uh, developed hmm, feels the, 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 the suffering of others to be his own. Hmm? So this is a metaphysical reality in which one, uh, properly understood, has stands on the ground of, of being hmm, and thereby transcends the differences of of likes and dislikes, happies and sads that, that make us different from one another, our, our bodily kind of measurements and so forth, that one extent or another put us at odds with one another. Hmm? Transcending that and seeing what we have in common, we are units of, of consciousness. And with that kind of identification with all beings that I'm one with in a very practical sense, I'm a unit of enduring being, knowing and loving, and so is everything else, everyone else, hmm? every other living entity. Hmm? And so the yogin puts himself, herself in this position and really, really empathizes with others, really feels their suffering to be... Um, other suffering to be the, their own. There's a there's a there's a universal identification with the plight of consciousness, if you will, units of it everywhere in relation to matter. Hmm? So, otherwise, it's difficult. Without coming to that platform, it's difficult to love your neighbor like yourself. You can you can try in different ways, but it's it it, it but. Um, uh, unless you have a way of actually fully identifying hmm, with another, how can you fully identify their suffering as if it's your own? Hmm? So this is, of course, what we're talking about when we talk about wise love. Hmm? Love of God, as we think of it, includes all the wisdom hmm, as to well, what is not love of God? Hmm? Um, so, you know, we have the both sides there. We're talking about how you practically love God. We're talking about chanting as an example of that. Hmm? But what is not loving God? Hmm? Much to be said about that as well. And this all has to do with identifying with our measured sense of self, our human sense of self, and separate interests, and so on and so forth. Um, the illusory differences of good and bad that make us uh, give us a, a 
sense of difference from others that's problematic. Hmm? The yogic mind is one that identifies good, bad, happy, and sad as only perceptions of the mind and senses, not a real take on the nature of being. Is it hot or is it cold? You might say it's hot, I might say it's cold. So, which is it? Hmm? Those are perceptions of the senses and the mind. You have a certain set of senses and a mind. I have a different, so we have different, which is the true reading. The idea is, of course, you have to read in another way the world, not through the limited instruments of the mind and the senses that will not give you a comprehensive uh, uh, take on the nature of being. Hmm? So, yoga, spiritual practice, this is for for in, in, at, at the ground level for transcending that perception and, 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 and knowing theoretically and pursuing that reality that, that my knowing is not dependent upon thinking, my seeing is not dependent upon eyes, my hearing is not dependent on ears. But these things limit my thinking, my ability to know, my ability to see, my ability to taste, hear, and so on and so forth. So, so coming to... Hmm, well, self-realization, there's real possibility for feeling empathy for others, sympathy to the measure of which it's, 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 it's uh, expected, for example, in the Christian tradition, to love your neighbor like you love yourself. It's a very deep uh, statement, hmm? love your neighbor like yourself. But, again, it's also, it's connected, as I'm saying, to loving God, but it's, it's separate at the same time. So if we try to love our neighbor hmm, and make that the sum and substance of loving God, hmm, we'll, we'll stumble along the way in trying to love them because we're trying to love them in terms of their being a neighbor. The real teaching is they're not a neighbor. Hmm. That's the teaching. Hmm. They're not something separate hmm, in the way in which, you know, they say, there's a poem. Who wrote the poem? Good fences make good good neighbors. So people invoke that. Good fences make good neighbors. But Frost's poem is actually saying that the opposite. Hmm? Good fences don't make for good neighbors. Hmm? Hmm? No fences and no neighbors. Hmm? <laughs> Something like that. Hmm? Uh, so that. That measure of identification with other living beings. I mean, to, you to love them like you love yourself. How much do you love yourself? <laughs> How can you love someone else like that? Hmm? You have to come to a different sense of self hmm? than this bodily and mental sense of self to do that. You can try by remaining within the bodily sense and mental sense of self to love others, but you'll always fall short. Hmm? Hmm? But coming to a, a deeper sense of self Hmm? that uh, we all have in common as units of consciousness on that plane, then it's possible. And that will not happen just by doing good works for your neighbors or helping, you know, uh, volunteering to mow his lawn on Sunday or something so he can go to the movie or whatever. Uh, or... It, those kind of acts are good, but 
uh, if we want to arrive at loving the neighbor like the self, we, we have to do that in the context of loving God. And the two, loving the neighbor like the self and loving God, they're different. They're connected, but they're different. Hmm? Um, on the other side, of course, if we love God hmm, and engage in, in exercises that are arguably uh, transrational exercises, exercises that transcend thought, like chanting, it's not a thinking exercise, it's just it's chanting. It's a heart exercise. Um, but we don't love our neighbor, hmm, then the extent to which we're actually loving God starts to come into question. Because then what is the neighbor again? Hmm? They're all parts and parcels of God. So if you don't can't love the neighbor, but you love... The, and that means also loving on an ordinary level, hmm? material level, as much as that's practical. Hmm? In other words, we don't love God and then think, well, people are suffering because of their karma, so I have no concern for them. Uh, that's their problem. And uh, if they would love God, they wouldn't have the problem. Uh, uh, and so I'm not going to tender to their material necessities or be concerned with this is then this kind of hard heartedness uh develops and the loving of the neighbor side falls apart. So in Gaudi Vaishnavism I think as it is in Christianity we try to these things have to be they're separate but they're but they're 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 connected. In other words you can't love God and not love your your neighbor. Hmm? You can dislike some things about your neighbor in terms of their conditioned mentality, but then you have to look to what they are in a higher sense. Hmm? Um, so you can't love God without loving the neighbor. In the in in the in the uh, indeed in the in the Bhagavatam, our principal text, it said another way of loving God: the archan offering to the deity of Krishna. Hmm? Very practical. How do you love God? Well, how do you love your kids? You feed them. How, if you, if, how do you love someone? Why don't you come over for dinner tonight? Hmm? Right? This is a very practical... That's evaporating more as time goes on in our industrial society, but it, 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 it has been and should be, of course, even today, a very common and profound way of showing love to others. Hmm? Come for, you know, for, di for dinner. Hmm? This is... This incidentally is what association means, because in, this is a very intimate thing, eating. Hmm? If, it's, if it's not, then you can't eat. In other words, if, if it's all, you know, you've got to be nervous and stuff, and, and you don't want to eat too much, you, you don't want to eat with the wrong spoon or something, you know, then it's like you can't really have a full meal. Eating is meant to be relaxed and intimate and, and an exchange then of feelings. Hmm? This just dealing with people and everyday things. That's not what we call sangha. Mm. Sangha means becoming one with other people, mm. embracing that. Mm. And so, eating, of course, very prominent in our tradition. Um, what is it um, said by Rupa Goswami? Tadati patagrinati, guhyamakati pichati, bhunte bojayate chayva sadvidim pradilakshanam. These are some of the symptoms, one, two of six that are mentioned there. In giving food hmm, and accepting food from others. Very nice. 
Hmm? Um, loving um, exchange. Hmm? So, um, so anyway, hmm? what was the point? Eating is, eating is. Oh, I was saying, eating is another another way in which we show love. So, so how do you love God? So well, you offer food to God. <laughs> you invite Him to come and eat. Come to my house. How would how would you how how would you love someone? Come to my house. I'll give you a room. You stay there. Anything you need, you let me know, and I'll cook for you. You don't have to worry. Something like that. So we we invoke the name of God. This is practical. All religious traditions say that it's sacred, so we've thought, well, let's capitalize on that. It's not a sectarian principle. It's a universal principle amongst the religious. The name is the God is sacred. By invoking the name of God, we can bring about the presence of God. So, so let us plumb the depths of that idea. So we have a Nam Dharma and a whole teaching on that. That uh, it's not just the name is so sacred you can't say it or or, as I mentioned, the Jewish tradition is mentioned everywhere, but here in Gaudi Vaishnavism, we really, we, we have a real sense of loving God in a practical way. So this is what? Sing the name of God. If you love someone, then you tend to sing their name. So you hear the song and you think of them, right? You hear the song and you think of somebody hmm? who's dear to you. Most of the songs are about love and peace, that kind of thing. So... <laughs> So you hear the song, you think of a certain person. So if you develop enough love of God, you can go listen to the radio and you only think of Radha and Krishna. Mm -hmm. uh, no problem. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu did this in the Rathiyatra. Mm -hmm. He sang a, a so-called mundane song. There were no mundane songs for him. Mm -hmm. But a song from the secular Raj Shastri was singing. People think, what is this? He's a monk and he's singing a... a, 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 a um, Top forty, you know, song or something, uh, uh, pop, 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 popular you know, music, and and Rupa Goswami could understand though what he, what he was about, and he wrote his own Sanskrit verse explaining what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was feeling. This is the bhava of Radha, as I said the other night. If we want to understand Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as Radha, we go to Rupa Goswami. That is the best place to go. Hmm? He explained what was his heart. And, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was embarrassed. You know my heart. Hmm? You understood how much you have understood me. I am Krishna, but I have the heart of Radha. Hmm? How did you know that? Hmm? Very extraordinary. Hmm? So, invoking the name, this is very practical. And offering food. So, Archana is another way in which, so, so love thy God with thy heart and soul. These are practical ways in which we do that that sometimes religious traditions seem a little bit like, how exactly do you do that? And it becomes so obscure and abstract of an idea that it's translated into loving your neighbor. And that's the sum and substance of loving God. So there's, a, there's an error then on that side because those, 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 those things, although interrelated and should go together, they're, they're separate at the same time to some extent. Hmm? So... We offer the food, archon. This is very uh, practical. Hmm? Um, we have a n number of them. We're pretty good at that in our tradition. How to practically love God. And the concept of the Godhead is also very, uh, well, very 
abstract in one sense, it's also very concrete. Hmm? Replete with leela and, uh, and, and qualities, hmm? form and so on and so forth. It's a very, of course, esoteric idea, how there will be a form that is not limited. Then again, in our own experience, we also find that form, while appearing to limit in one sense, in another sense is also also facilitates. Hmm. Right. And if I wanted if I wanted to drink this nice grape juice that somebody gave me, hundred percent pure muscadine grape juice, thank you, then it is certainly being facilitated by the form, the shape that it's in. Because if you were just to throw grape juice at me, that wouldn't go, <laughs> wouldn't go over in the same <laughs> in the same way. <laughs> So, so form also uh, facilitates hmm? specificity is is a, is a requirement for loving. Hmm? In the Gita, when Krishna shows the universal form, Arjuna's capacity to love starts to evaporate. That's why he becomes nervous. Hmm? That's why he becomes anxious. Hmm? Otherwise, he's happy loving Krishna as a friend. Suddenly, his friend has evaporated and become everything. And, and how will he love everything like a friend? It's, it's, it's difficult. And so he wants Krishna to, to retire that and come again in his two-armed form so that he can love him. So, so for loving, then specificity. The more you know about a person, if they're lovable, then the more you can this form of Krishna this is for example then Brahman the great you can't talk about just so great I want to attain become one with this idea it looks, seems like a bigger idea. Krishna starts to look like a, oh, a smaller idea. It's become sectarian now and, and culturally um, has a cultural context and so forth. And of course, there's no reason to think hmm, that a particular cultural context cannot have a, a transcendent... Um, uh, Krishna says in the Gita, As people approach me, they approach God and they see angels with trumpets and little wings and Gabriel's up there and there's Peter and Paul at the gate checking if you're on the list and so on and so forth. Um, and they had beautiful architecture and paintings in Europe and so forth in the churches. Um, Particularly the Catholic Church, so all this iconography and so on. Now you go to Hinduism, you got this, you got a whole different scene up. Who's right? Which one is is it? Or are these just cultural uh, uh, filters through which we're trying to talk about something that that is formless and beyond word and name? One could reason like that, but one could as well reason. Hmm? that each cultural representation where there's some manifestation of divinity that causes a religious tradition to form, like the descent of the Christ in, in Europe or Krishna, Chaitanya in, in India and so on, the Buddha and so forth, 
that has a representation in transcendence. After all, Krishna says, As they surrender me, I reciprocate accordingly. Why not worlds of angels? Hmm? Once you under- See, once you understand the difference between matter and consciousness, hmm, then so many possibilities open to you. Hmm? The possibility of different kinds of heavens and lokas and so forth, it all becomes very re- reasonable. What's unreasonable, in my estimation, is to think that consciousness arises out of of matter and that it's, it, does, it doesn't have a causal uh, influence. That it's not the very basis, the ground of being. This is this is nice to talk about, but it's see, it's 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 compelling, but it's abstract. It's hard to get a handle on uh, because we're bodily oriented. We're, we're a unit of subjective reality, but we're identified with the objective reality. We're talking about our real identity, so, and, but we're in this objective identity, so it's very, it's, it, that has to be let go, as I said, and it's to the extent that we do so. Hmm? Like I was talking to your son the other night, last night, briefly, and he had undergone, as you know, some, some considerable negative impetus for spiritual life. Hmm? The world, uh, well, he was interacting with the world in such a way that the world responded like, this isn't a good thing, and, and he, he got the pinched, so to speak. Hmm? And so we were chatting a little bit, and, and, and it ke- we came to the idea that, yeah, you know, that if you don't control your senses and your mind and so forth, then, then it's problematic. Hmm? And he, he seemed to really you know, resonate with that. And I say, you see, this is like very bottom line kind of thing. It's not, this is not a different, this is not a religious dogma. If you don't control your senses and your mind to the extent that you don't, you can say that there's a problem. I think everybody would agree with that. What we say is to the extent that you do, there's a solution. Hmm? Someone might say, well, what about everything in moderation? <laughs> okay, you're somewhat in between, but we do that. Hmm? Because our way of controlling the senses is very user-friendly. You can take prashad, for example. You can engage in song for your ear. It's delight. And heart's delight. By chanting about Bhagwan, Sri Krishna, Radha Krishna. And you can have friends, too. So the Sangha. In our tradition, we advance by Sangha, by becoming attached to one another. Hmm? That's not too hard. Well, it could be to me. <laughs> it can be challenging, but um, to, to become attached to one another, and of course, each of us trying to attach ourselves to God. So, this, so, so this is a middle way. Hmm? In moderation, yes, we use the senses. We moderate in this way. Hmm? We let them go. You know, completely controlling them, and completely controlling the mind, it, it, you're shutting it down, so to speak. Not because what is the con- lack of control? It, 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 the senses are attracted to sense objects and chasing after them, and the mind is is feeding on that and making demands, and you know it's it's problematic. Uh, uh, so stop it, stop it. Arguably, you'll be better off. But then, how to do that? How to just stop it? That's difficult. And again, what about the middle road in moderation? So we say, yeah, we take the middle road. We agree with that. Hmm? 
We moderate in this way. Use your senses in this way. Use your mind in that way. Hmm? For loving God. Hmm? And they give very practical handles for that, how to do that. Hmm? Very nice idea. Hmm? So, again. There's a point. (laughs) Too many points. So, uh, so, so we have anyway practical ideas, very practical ideas for loving God. I was telling your son, that's the point, that, that, and he said, yeah, you know, that makes sense. And I, so I, so I made the point to him that, you see, this is not a religious dogma. This is something everybody accepts. If you can control your mind and senses, you will be better off. If you don't, you'll be worse off. The more you do that, and if you do that, and, and we, Vedanta Yoga offers a very systematic way for doing that, a whole practice, a whole sadhana. Hmm? And if you do that, to the extent that you do, what happens, of course, is you stop uh, operating under the rule, the, ty- the tyranny, if you will, of the mind and the senses, which don't even agree with one another. Hmm? You know, the ear wants to hear something, and the, the eye wants to see something. The stomach says enough, the tongue says eat more. Hmm? And this way we're being pulled in different directions by very uh, uh, poor, cruel masters, so to speak. So you come out from underneath that oppression, and it opens up a whole world of possibilities. That the more that you are you are absorbed in the world of sensual pursuit and in the, in, in the identification with the objective world, the more difficult it is to appreciate the possibilities of the subjective world. We say things like, oh, it's only in his mind. Only in his mind. Now, when did the mind become less than the body? Hmm? You understand? When did that happen? Hmm? Which is more important, your mind or your body? I mean, you, you, if if I say, you know, you're 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 sick, go to the doctor. Going around, you're sick, go to the doctor. You go, okay. If I say uh, you're mentally sick or crazy, then there'll be I don't know if I want to. I don't think I want to take that medication. Hmm? Right? There'll be some the greater resistance to that. Hmm? Mind is not less important. It's more important. Hmm? And consciousness is different from mind and body altogether. How important is it? And what are the possibilities of that world? And when we t- when they're talked about or or depicted in art, in song, in poetry, and so forth, as they are in our tradition, the world of God, from a particular perspective, one of the possible worlds. You think it's the best possible world, but you know, that's, the best is what's best for you. Hmm? So if you're moved by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, then then. Goloka Vrindavan, that is the best of all possible worlds. And it's a big world, it's not a small world. It's a world of all, Braj means, in one sense, all possibilities, all things possible. Hmm? And so I, I said to him, see, there are so many things that you look like, that's just like religious dogma and so forth, but if you get this one basic point, then all those other points, they make, they make sense. The most esoteric ideas of Krishna consciousness it will seem like, how is that possible? Hmm? This is all due to our identification with the objective world where there are so many limitations. Things aren't possible. 
You can't do that. Hmm? You can't do that. But God can do that. I asked your son, your daughter, your son, Renu Gopal, what he was reading. He said, about magic. I said, is there, is there any real magic? He said, not really. Hmm? I said, I believe in magic. I said, I said, what if I could take an apple tree and a hundred apples, hmm? a thousand apples on that tree, thank you, a thousand apples on that tree, what if I could take them and then make them all, put them in a little seed? That's pretty magical. <laughs> so, okay, take the tree, put it in the seed. So, you know, you can understand the examples. This is what from our perspective, Krishna has done. He put a whole apple tree in a seed. That's magic. Hmm? Someone said, I'm waiting for, told me the other day, I'm waiting for miracles. I said, what are you waiting for? <laughs> They're everywhere. There's a different, different perspectives, obviously. Some people see miracles everywhere. Hmm? Um, so, but at any rate, this is a very common sense thing. If we, the yoga guide is, you harness the mind and the senses, you are better off. And you are better off, in the full sense of the term, in what type of prospect comes before you. You enter into a subjective world of consciousness, a meditative world, and when, when that meditation becomes really effective, hmm, with the, in our context, Gaudiya context, the ingress of the very shakti that makes the subjective world go around, that hmm? we call that Swarup Shakti, Bhakti Devi. Hmm? Then all possibilities. You can make a form for yourself, a family for yourself, <laughs> even. It's described in the sutras. Hmm? Hmm? This is what, what Bhava Bhakti is about. So, all possibilities. Hmm? Then, that when talked about, or written about, or uh, uh, put into art, music, may sound like limited. No, it's not limited. It's a big idea. The Krishna idea is a very big idea. The Brahman idea is a very small idea, comparatively. It's big compared to the world of our mind, but the Brahman idea is very small because there's not much affection there. There's no specificity there. Hmm? There's no detail there. Hmm? Arjun said, God's everywhere. How do I... How do I practically be his friend? I knew him as a friend. I found that very, very comforting. Now he's everywhere. Well, this is a problem. Hmm? Krishna's becoming smaller, as it seems, means he's becoming bigger. You understand? Big. Hmm? By way of taking, take, taking shape that, with specificity that makes for the possibility of love. Hmm? Love is a big place. As I've often said, if you love somebody, you could live under a rock. Right? You could live in the hollow of a tree. It doesn't matter. It's big. Hmm? By affection, it's big. You're comforted. Hmm? So the idea of Krishna consciousness and loving God, we have very practical tools, if you will, for loving God. Our idea is very specific. That's true. It's very specific, but that's not to be thought of as sectarian or in limit, uh, uh, limitation. If we understand the philosophical underpinnings of the concept, we find, oh, this is a very big idea, very broad, 
very accommodating. And it touches with other, it connects essentially with other religious traditions and what they're saying, and it, and it from our perspective, plays them out hmm, in great detail so that by hearing about that, you can become a better Christian or a better uh, uh, Jewish person, or as, as may be the case, uh, uh, and so forth. So loving God is very, is very practical, and it's different than loving the neighbor like yourself, but they're related. Hmm? We should love the neighbor like the self in every sense. Hmm? But ultimately to do that, as I said, it has to be in a transcendent sense for what the person is in order to be fully identified. You have to see the person as a part and parcel of God rather than as a neighbor as we're all in this together, something like that. Hmm? Uh, so... I wanted to mention these points, some common points, and some points then about our tradition, and of course, and with the idea that as far as religion goes, there are different religions in the world, and they sometimes appear to be at odds with one another. In our tradition, it is said that you begin this tradition by giving up religion. Sarvadharman pratyajamami kam shoganam. You have to give up religion to practice our religion. So it means like <laughs> we're spiritual but not religious, something like that, which is a common saying today. Hmm? The Gita says the religious idea, from the Hindu perspective, is a narrow, as a small idea. It's full of rules, hmm? and wherever there's rules, there's not much love. Love, when there's love. <laughs> that extent there's no there's no rules hmm? that's why property say for a preacher there are no rules he meant preacher means somebody who is motivated naturally spontaneously to speak about what's driving them hmm? and and they are doing the remembering him all the time never forgetting him all the time. There's the sum and substance, the essence of all the do's and the don'ts that they, they are, that, that kind of thing. So, so at anyway, at any rate, we, in other words, are advocating that let us look at the heart of all religious traditions. The mysticism that it, it, it's, it's really, really being spoken of. There we'll find unity, there we'll find some difference, but the difference will not be one that shows up in the world in such a way that people get turned off, if you will, from religion. Mystics may have different experiences. They have a common experience as well that's, that's, that, is, that is most prominent. The ego-effacing experience, hmm? the transcendence of the oppression of the mind and the senses and so forth, hmm? that makes them a compassionate person and, 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 and able to love their neighbor like themselves and so forth. This is very powerful. To meet a person like this is very very extraordinary. It's very compelling. Like I said, it's hard. it may be easy to deny God, but love of God, if you really see it, if you really find someone that can love their neighbor like the self, then, then that's why people like Christ, like apparently he could do that. I mean, that he's not going to go away. Hmm? Hmm. Mahaprabhu could do that. This other, maybe Rumi and other these people, they, in the different religious traditions, these people. There's nobody that's influenced the world more for a longer period of time, or will continue to, 
than those in a, who have done so in a spiritual context. There's nothing you can do materially that will make you as famous as what one person can do spiritually by arriving at the perfection of these types of ideas, regardless of which tradition, in a basic sense at any rate, regardless of which tradition you do that through. That will always have a greater impact because it, it's because it's entirely different. It's otherworldly. It's a supernatural reality, if you will, manifesting in the natural world. It has to stand out. And that's why it has for centuries. And you can try to do it away with it and you can dismiss misrepresentations of it, facile type of religious ideas that, that aren't philosophically well-founded or that don't play out in practical everyday action. I love Jesus and therefore I want to kill Arabs or something, you know, type of a uh, scenario. Hmm. But the heart of what these saints are like, how they can turn their back on the world in one sense and fully embrace it hmm, in another sense, in a way that no one else um, can, by, by other say. This is a practical example by loving the neighbor. Hmm? This will always um, uh, stand out in human society. It stands out as an example of what humanity offers us in potential hmm, to be. Hmm? We can say it offers you the chance to transcend humanity, or we can say it, it offers you the chance to be as human, you know, fully human. Hmm? Fully human, in a sense, means 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 to be supernatural, because the human life is something in which the supernatural is coming to the fore. Consciousness is coming to the fore. There's self-consciousness. Hmm? There are value questions, meaning questions, and so forth. So, in this way, we should try to, um, to appreciate all uh, the different uh, religious traditions that are all saying this to one extent or another. We like ours. We're mostly Gaudiya people here. We like ours and the way it's said and so forth, and so we should study that and embrace that, and that will help us, and that will, if properly understood, will help us to understand others in the religious world and be sympathetic with them and be sympathetic with other people who are seeking truth and coming up with true truths about, for example, the natural world that even seem to contradict something in the religious world, which gives us an opportunity to, to, to forego a fundamentalist, literal orientation of the tradition we could thank them and go go deeper within the tr tradition. Hmm? So, uh, so even even uh, such secular people, if you will, who are pursuing they find truths. They sometimes they appear to say be contradictory to the book, but if they're true, then they they must not be. Then you have to think there must be a different way to think about what's being said in the book. Then we offer our respect to those secular people. They gave us opportunity to think about our tradition in a different way, in a, in a, in a deeper way. Hmm? This way, some thoughts. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to share with you. Any question? When uh, Krishna mentions in Bhagavad Gita, yea, yata, one approach, I reward accordingly. So, carrying what you were speaking forward, Another tradition could have you given a conceptual orientation of the Supreme, and based on the saints of that tradition, um, their practice would foster a certain conception of what the Supreme would, what their 
experience of seeing the Supreme would be, it would be completely opposite of a vision of Vishnu or... or Different, you know. yeah. Yeah. Could you elaborate a little bit? Would, I mean, Krishna will reciprocate according to their conceptual orientation. Yeah, I'll elaborate to some extent. For example, in the Bhagavatam, what are we taught? In the third chapter of the Bhagavatam, what is the subject? Right. Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam and different avatars. So it means different appearances of God. Hmm? So about the, the, there, how many are listed there? 28, 29 incarnations. But what does the text say? How many are there? Right. Asankhya. Asankhya. Asankhya means uncountable. Hmm? So that's one answer. Uncountable. Uh, how many appearances, how many type of manifestations of divinity are there? As many as there are types of love of a God hmm? would be the answer. And what, as long as that love of God is actually love of God, which means it's wise love and it involves this whole uh, transcending the oppression of the mind and the senses and so on and so forth, uh, rising above that, ego effacement, shutting down the conventional ego sense of self, which is small and is a taker, hmm? coming to self-realization, that I am consciousness, not matter. And if in the context of, of arriving at that, by a context is, is loving God, hmm? then, then how I've conceived of God, hmm? arguably God will appear. Hmm? There's no difference between love of God and God. So he can appear to correspond. And so, you know, in the, we have many in India, many different, and they're very different. They're extremely different, right? Uh, you want to take... Um, well, I mean, Varaha looks a lot different than Krishna, to give you an example, or Kurma or something, <laughs> these type of ideas. Uh, and then within the whole, well... Anyway, so, that's saying to us it's making this point. Hmm? So, and Bhaktivinoda Thakur has said where in, in his Gita commentary hmm, that when the Gita says, uh, this is in the section of the fourth chapter about Avatar Tattva, actually, he says what? Um, that Prithanaya sadhanam vina chayatidaskitam dharma sam sapanartaya sambhavami yuge yuge. Millennium after millennium, Krishna says, I appear in the world. Hmm? And Bhaktivinoda Thakur says, and this does not mean only in India. Hmm? He also appears in other, through empowered devotees, uh, in other cultures, and establishes a kind of dharma that works for that culture. Hmm? And arguably, they realize a certain face of divinity as a result of pursuing it. Hmm. It's very broad-minded. That's Bhakti Thakur. Does that answer your question? Except for the correlation of the revelation given in the Bhagavatam, that it seems that the descriptions of Vishnu between realized by one devotee and the next devotee, they seem to have the same ornaments and the same arms and the same, uh, <laughs> uh, you know... Well, they're approaching in a similar way. Hmm? So, showing a similar face. Hmm? 
they're approaching in a particular way, as it's appeared, as if the opportunity has been made available to them. And so, you know, you, 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 have, you have to appreciate that the, 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 the alternative to that is, well, he's only in India and only like this. Then that tradition is finding something false. But then again, you can look and you can find real deep spiritual people in other traditions. Hmm? Or do you say, well, then both are false and it's all Brahman and these are just cultural, you know, you don't want to go there either. So, and that's not the teaching of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. So, this is what the Gita is saying. Play, you know, play it out. Hmm? Broaden your horizons. Hmm? Yes? Um, early in, in, the, in the talk, in, in late Ryan kind of echoed it. He talked about how we're not ordinary people. And uh, to be ordinary is rather dull, actually. At the same time, we've, we, 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 um, we... I could go the opposite direction, too. Yeah. <laughs> the ordinary is good. Yeah. But at the same time, we reach out to the ordinary. Uh, yeah. to, to, and, we were, and we were, before we were reached out to, by a, by a pure devotee of God, ordinary. And in that sense, so yeah. In our, in our unordinary, what makes us not ordinary... Is, is the fact that we've the rest of, of bhakti of, of we've had association with extraordinary people. Yeah. So how do those of us who you know we realize this tradition we belong to is so extraordinary? It's far more extraordinary than than I am. That's for sure. Um, how do we also bring people? You know, how do we relate to the to the to the ordinary and the uh, ordinary folks who you know who might not quite understand the extraordinariness of this tradition by being extraordinary <laughs> i guess yourself and then being being such that the, the perk their curiosity enough to ask well, what is it that makes you tick what, what makes your hair stand on end at work uh, <laughs> by the way that's maybe a bit extreme but there should be things about you that the chanting has has affected that makes people curious enough to create a teachable moment if you will, we're not there. You know, we're not really there just to ram things down people's throats, but we're there to 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 take advantage of the extraordinary ex association we've had, and expect that as a result of that, we'll act in an extraordinary way that will, as I say, perk the interest of others as to what makes us tick, and then ask, and then within the when there's a, when there's a window of opportunity, a teachable moment, then you explain. Uh, uh, accordingly, and that was really what Prabhupada taught us. Hmm? Uh, you know, he he said the householders, if they're traveling and they meet somebody, they should invite them to their home. Oh, you're in town, come, stranger on the train. You know, that's what it was India. Invite them home, and 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 then you and and you and you, the idea is to to keep them there as much as long as possible by affection, by affection. And then they end up, you know, embracing what you do, and uh, because they like it, and it's so nice. And so, by sharing your, by being extraordinary, you know, by, if you really have good asanga, then you're going to you're going to change, hmm? you're, and then then you're going to be an example for others, and something like that. Yes. Um, kind of along those lines, you'll you'll meet people that you can tell maybe have a spark of that extraordinary or they are seeking and they're asking you questions like that, hmm. then when you come up with it, um, 
you know, what seems like a, a solid answer or something concrete, they're like, oh, that, that sounds like religion, and I'm not into, you know, you get people that are like, not into organized religion, and it's like, well, they're... We're not very organized, so there's not a problem there. <laughs> so what, what is that that holds people back like that? It's like there's this threshold that holds people, is it fear, is it Maya, is it ego, is it... Well, I think it's, uh, the way you're talking about it, I, the way you're talking about it, I think it's that they've had some bad experiences and bad examples that um, once burnt, twice shy, right. something like that. So you need to speak about it or embody it in, 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 an, in an essential way that... that, um, that Dismantles those fears, but you know it's difficult. That that's a that's an extra hurdle hmm, to uh, to try to o overcome. It requires more uh, expertise. But but I would you know suggest to gravitate towards um, ideas, um, ideas, and ideas that, and universally embraced. Uh, principles really that people don't that say they invoke the saying, but they don't think of the implications and play it out and so forth. And and um, and uh, uh, if people hear that kind of a presentation as they ask you about yourself and yourself, but I think they'll find some uh, resonance with that. And and if they say, well, that sounds like religion, you say, no, no, it's not. We, we, our whole principle is, you know, you have to give up religion. You can tell them that. It's right in the Bhagavad Gita. Give up religion, and then you can, and, and then you can love. Sarva dharman pratyaja, mam ekam, saranam braja. Yes, Bill, is it right? Um, actually, following up on that, um, I'm plotting a trip to New Orleans and New Taliban, and um, so the people I'm going to be visiting there are politically to the right of the Tea Party, extremely reactionary. Uh, and the, and because the, generally the, the influence of, or, of organized religions is politically reactionary. They're, in the case of the Catholics, they're giving 12th century answers to 21st century problems. Muslims are giving 7th century... The new Pope is pretty good, though. You know, uh, yeah, the, well, <laughs> the Pope is still, you know, not changing the positions, the fundamental development of the Church. And the Hindus, well, the Vedic answer to political problems is monarchy. <laughs> well, you know, and the Prabhupada was not pro-democratic. He didn't, he didn't care for that. And so the... Well, I don't, yeah, I think there, you know, I mean, just to comment on that for a minute, I don't mean to cut you off, but I think that it, it, it is true that if you have a really good and benevolent leader, hmm, uh, you 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 got a good system, hmm? as opposed to many people's opinions, who 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 some of whom may not be that that useful, that well thought out, and so forth. People are herd animals. If they, if they can find a bull hmm, to run with, that's good, you know. At any rate, it was 140 years of war. We decided to get rid of monarchies. Yeah, you know, it started with our revolution and ended with World War Two. And we're not going to go through that again. This yeah, we're not going to have a monarchy. That's true. So, so basically, right. you know, the, the problem I have is that we see problems like cruelty on farms. We see problems that the social problems that that 
our answers don't apply. Even no matter how much love we have for ourselves, no matter what we have for God, we can't go to a dairy farmer and say, "You can't kill your cows." You can't go to a rancher and say, "You can't kill a cow." Because it's not practical. You know, it doesn't work. In other words, that whole industry would be dismantled. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 we we find ourselves, you know not affecting the change that we would like to see in society. And um, and so you know, if we become if we stay doctrinally pure, it's going to remain that way. And well, I don't know about that. And that's necessarily the case. I mean, and doctrinally pure, I mean, that's questionable what that means. It doesn't mean that we have to have a monarchy, for example. But I don't think that, uh, I think that, you know, to change the world is, is, is a huge thing. Like you talk about the, the, the cattle industry, for example. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, we say, you know, everyone should stop eating meat. I mean, what that would mean, you know, to the whole economy, you know, people say that, don't, don't think about it, you know. But 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 and but at the same time, what you say is true. They can't really. It's not that's not going to happen like that. But but in one sense, but you can you can yourself can be independent of that, and you know that's how things start, isn't it? You know you set a different example, you know, and other people will like it. It becomes contagious, and um, and you know then again, saving everybody is not possible because there's unlimited numbers of. <laughs> Of jivas, so I mean, um, yeah, it's uh, it's. Uh, you can open up a dairy that's a hemp dairy yourself, and then, you know, let's start let's start small and start doing that. Yeah, we do that. We got three of those, but um, but I mean, you know, the big thing is, Bill, to change yourself. That's the big thing, right? So there's nothing bigger than that. So start there, you know, that's, that's the biggest challenge, to change yourself. And then, uh, then once you've changed, if somebody else does that by your example, then I know it sounds like rather romantic, uh, you know, in terms of <laughs> affecting a real change in the world and here and now, but, you know, the here and now is not everything either. So um, to, to, to look at the world like that, to change it in that way, I think it may be impractical, but... To change yourself as an individual, that's that's not practical, that's compelling, that's important, and that's the first business at hand, and, and there's unlimited jivas in the world, so <laughs> what to do. I'm sorry if I cut you off. What, what? If we could find a way to reduce cruelty on us. Yeah, that's good. Which is, you know, I, I have seen, actually I went to a monastery in South Carolina, that raised chickens in a cruel way, in cages. And PETA came and took videos and exposed them mm. because they figured that they could reach the, conscious, the consciousness of the, of the monks mm. as opposed to the big places where the millions of chickens were. And they did shut it down. And the monks still hate them for it. And the The point is that um, th th that approach didn't work. It didn't 
didn't work on the industrial scale, and it didn't work changing the attitudes of the monks. It was confrontational, it was absolutist, it was not compromising, and it didn't help the chickens, because that just means more chickens are now grown in other industrial places. You know, they're having a farm means killing plants and animals. You're displacing the wildlife. You're changing the ecology. Every time you have a farm, you're killing plants and animals. That's reality. Mm -hmm. So if we come to the world with urban attitudes that are bred in our imaginations of what a farm is, and we tell the farmer that in, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in the way that we do it now, it doesn't work. And what we, what we could do, though, is approach things in a way so that animals are treated as sentient beings, and when they die, they die peacefully. That would be a huge, huge change. Mm -hmm. Well, Prabhupada used to say that um, when pressed, he would say that our objection is to animal slaughter. If you want to eat meat, then keep the animal, let them die, and eat them. But the slaughterhouse, that should be stopped. So there is a compromise, not a compromise, but that, and it was, that's, how he, that's what you're talking about. So you tell those people at Taliban that this is what Prabhupada said, and tell them to be less absolute, and maybe then they can... Does that make sense? That's addressing your, what you're talking about, right? An example of it. You're saying... You can't... If you want to shoot for the stars, then you got to. Can't wait for a cow to die of old age. That's just an example. It's an, exa it's, it's an example. You you were saying you were saying that the position is that you know you can't got to it's absolute you got to stop killing all animals and you can't stop eating meat entirely. But that, no, I'm pointing out that that's not the position. And Prabhupada was very practical, and he you know responded in a in a in a, in a middle. Where I say, well, if you want to eat meat, you can eat meat, but don't slaughter the cows. Hmm? Don't, don't take them to the slaughterhouse. So then, you know, you go from there. The point is that there's room for what you're talking about. Hmm? I agree with you. There's some room for what you're talking about. If that in particular is, the, is, the, is, the, is, the, is your focus with regard to Krishna consciousness, um, uh, then there's, there, there, there's room for that, and trying to affect a larger change by asking people to do less, which is still much more hmm, than what they're doing now. I mean, that, that there are some fanatics in New Orleans, you know, I can't help that. I've tried, but I, I can't help that, so I'm sorry, yeah. Go ahead, Christian Chaitanya. Oh, I was just going to say, that was kind of Narada Muni's thing with Madari. Yeah. He, yeah. he didn't say don't kill him. He just said don't half kill. I mean, he said don't half kill. Go ahead and kill him completely. The story is that Nar Narada met this hunter, and the hunter was taking pleasure in half killing animals. You know the story, and he was getting a lot of juice out of that. And so Narada said, "This is terrible," and so you should. But he thought, "How can I get this guy to do this? So to stop?" So he said, "Don't half kill them. Kill them completely." And chant the name of Ram. So he told this was his, you know, probably gave the four regulative principles: don't eat meat, don't, and so forth. 
Narada gave one regulative principle. He said, chant Ram Nam and kill him completely. <laughs> so you know, we're practical when properly understood. Another question? I had seen a, um, a clip of Prabhupada and he was being interviewed and he asked um, about spirituality and he said, well, spiritualness just means, you know, learning about God, you know, like that's what you're doing, whereas religion feels like it's kind of um, conformative and I was also Catholic, so you know, the whole talking to the priest, not directly to God, so it feels very confining and restrictive, so if we can find a way to teach people that we're spiritual, not as much religious, then they will have the acceptance maybe to just seek God themselves instead of a, a religious sect. Mm -hmm. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Yes? Um, Bill's question was making me think, you know, maybe that's like stemming from a doubt that is bhakti really the highest compassion? You know, but if you look at like possibilities in karma or again, you know, if you want to engage someone in karma, then they have to follow Varnashram Dharma. So there's a limit there. You know. And then if you want to engage someone in Gyan, they have to begin with celibacy, mm -hmm. which is another tall order. So either of those possibilities are practically not possible in this day and age. But <clears throat> to engage in bhakti is, you know, as you described it, it's like user-friendly. Mm -hmm. The guru, as the representative of the Srup Shakti can make up the rules for the disciple to follow and somehow like Narada did, you know. What do you think about that, Kamalani? <laughs> make up the rules. The guru, the guru, not a, you know, to, to give him this particular thing. Hmm? Is that what you're saying, Ananda? Like the yeah. answer isn't to come up with a, uh, an idea for all dairy farmers to uh, treat their animals nicer, but it's for the, if a dairy farmer was really going to benefit, he would have to meet a guru, and the guru would say, you know what, why don't you let your cows make it to age 16 before you ship them to the slaughterhouse rather than just age 9? I don't know. I'm, is that... Well, well, the, the guru is the representative of the Srup Shakti. Okay. And the guru, you know, is carrying the Kripa Shakti of Krishna. Okay. So, nothing is impossible, you know, like, for the guru to, you know, bring anybody on board. You know, it's good to know. Anybody can come. <laughs> <laughs> right? There's no, there's no, like, you know, if you can't follow Varnashram Dharma, well... You can still come, obviously, mm -hmm. because, you know, we're, nobody's following Varnashram Dharma and we're all here you know, engaged in bhakti, so mm -hmm. there must be some scope for that, and we're not definitely not all celibate, so you know, the, the mm -hmm. guru can make the rules mm -hmm. and bring, somehow find a way, and the and change the heart, really, like, because it means, you know, the Sarup Shakti, the guru gives the sadhaka deha, the guru, you know, Somehow or other, you know, the mercy comes and the jiva becomes controlled by the Srup Shakti and engaged in the seva of Krishna. So it's magic. Thing, but, you know. 
there's no rule. There's no rules required. Like there is some glorification of bhakti in the shastra like that, right? That it is superior because it doesn't require rules. So, in a way, you know, mm-hmm. there are rules, but they're made by the guru. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. When, when, when Prabhupada came to America, he stood under a tree and started to chant. And you know, arguably, that's the most ridiculous way to try to change a culture ever. But people just started coming, and, and Prabhupada, I think, it was the idea that he just wanted people to become Krishna conscious. And if we became Krishna conscious one by one, yeah. eventually there'd be more and more Krishna conscious people. And in the end, he said he didn't. He did only half. You know, he, he in the end, before he left the planet, he wanted to go to Gita Nagari because only half his work was finished. He wanted then to start jumping for an ashram. But it's it's important to note that the first half was Harinam. <laughs> you know, it's just. Lord Chaitanya Sankirtan movement, and, and, and I think when we get really wrapped up in, in trying to think about how I'm going to change the world, I mean, Bill, I, you know, you and we've talked about this before. In the end, get, pick up a bead bag, start a kirtan, pray to Krishna, and you know, Krishna is the Supreme Personality of God, and Lord Chaitanya is, 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 is here. And if you, want to, if you want to preach and change people, go to New Taliban. Preach to them. <laughs> um, I, I come from four generations of preachers. I'm kind of allergic. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of miraculous that I'm here, you know. Uh, but, no, I, um, That's true for all of us. <laughs> it's, uh, by their fruits you shall know them is a really nice little part of the New Testament. Yeah. And I think that that's really true, is that we, our first responsibility and our reason for being here is working on ourselves. Yes. The fundamental way of working on ourselves is by serving others. And the fundamental idea of serving others is showing the fruits of our own internal transformation. Mm-hmm. And this is why I write music, this is why I live the way I do. Um, and I think that if we take if we if, if we treat society as if we're striving for Vedic ideals doesn't work. Well, yeah, we don't do that here in one sense. With Vedic ideas, it's a very nebulous kind of a term, really. Uh, you know, we, 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 you know we, we're interested in love of God. This is, a ch- this is the New Testament I mentioned, not the Old Testament, the Bhagavatam. Hmm? Avoiding technology. These are... We're not doing the same. Yeah, well, it's, this has been part of this call. We well, I'm not a member. I is the major, Think differently, Bill. <laughs> Amhara. Oh, sorry. Advised against technological development, industrial development. No, he he advised about the 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 fact. I think it is a fact that. Technological technological development um, has um, uh, benefits 
as well as the possible downside, the extent of which it's not clear hmm. at this at this point, and 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 advise some some caution. And I think that's you know many wise people in the world would agree with that. You don't know where um, you know Monsanto is involved in technology, and uh, you don't know where it's going to go. Next thing you know, they're going to create. Hmm? Yeah, you're going to develop something that you know that you can't put out. <laughs> that's a problem. So there are limitations, and he, he taught that very practically by his example. I mean, to, criti- to criticize, to make a critique of industrial society, uh, from his perspective, was to, was to say that there are you know it's not it's not the you know the golden egg of the goose that you know people might think it is. It's not everything. It, it brings with it. So, uh, problems as well, potentially, and some of the extent to which some of some of which the extent to which we we, we don't know, perhaps, and so be cautious. Otherwise, you know, he he was very fond of using uh, certain technologies and 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 so forth. And he printed books. He flew on airplanes. He didn't criticize. He didn't say we should try to shut down the. You know, the, the, he did advocate that an agrarian-based lifestyle had it had advantages, um, and. Um, and a lot of people would would you know would agree with that to some extent. So he was a very pragmatic person. A lot of his disciples were not very pragmatic, not very practical in their understanding of what he what he said and the implications of it and so forth. And I, I think were are, are lacking. And then if you get the kind of representations that you're talking about that that just don't compute and and make a tradition obsolete in the world. So we're worthy on that. Worthy on that. I let's make it the last question. It's, it doesn't matter what it, what it is, but we've okay. been talking for a while. I don't want to. People may be a little restless. <laughs> no. Okay. Okay. Well, um, you were speaking of the third canto, so I thought I thought of a question I had for you the past few Sundays, but never got to ask it. So, um, well, I was reading in the purport. Uh, one of the translations of, uh, that Prabhupada said that when uh, whatever you want to get, whatever form you're desiring... You Famous can, verse, yeah. Yeah. Famous and, verse in all Gaudiya Sampradaya. And he said that the Krishna wants the devotee to get whatever they desire. Whatever the pure devotee wants, because they're pure at that time, they get whatever they want. And Krishna wants to fulfill that desire, but then I know that you've said Krishna is actually just tricking us to think in a certain way, so that's the form that Krishna really wants. So mm-hmm. I was just wondering. If well, it means what she's talking about in the Bhagavatam. It says that 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 the Lord appears in a form that corresponds with the devotee's love for 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 him, which is a point. It's not off topic. We were talking about that, and it also means that the devotees develop a form. Hmm? Uh, uh, that that corresponds with the type of love that they have for Bhagwan. It's translated in both ways. It means it's, it's the same. Implications are the same. That you have a suitable f- form according to your love, hmm? which which corresponds with that love, and in, in which you serve God in a form that also corresponds, and so forth. So your question is. Well, it speaks about it that whatever the devotee wants, but is it, is it the devotee wants it, or is it that Krishna arranges it, or so forth? Well, we, we, uh, one way to think about it is, is, is this: that that 
Krishna makes the overture. Hmm? Right? Krishna extends himself through his devotees to us. So he's he's like sent the note, you know. I like you, you know. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Uh <laughs> and um and, and 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 so we get involved in bhakti. Hmm? And so um you're kind of asking, is it what the devotee wants or is it what Krishna wants and therefore the devotee wants? It's kind of a, you know, an interesting form of is there free will or determinism type of a, within the, within the esoteric context, context of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, or do you love Krishna the way you want or is it the way Krishna wants you to love him? And, and so you can chase it around and talk about it in different ways. Um, but... Uh, my basic answer is that the the jiva is a unit of will. We we we, we uh, and will means freedom. Hmm? So if I if I have two units of, of will, they're independent. They may they may do they may be presented with the with the exact same circumstances, the same two choices, and although they're the same, because they're the, because they're units of will, they may choose differently. Hmm? Such is the nature of freedom. Hmm? Um, so. Uh, at the same time, of course, then the devotees are presented through the parampara with a particular window of opportunity to love God, and um, and he, he, that gesture, if you will, that outreach, on the part of Bhagwan, makes it possible. So he invites us in a, in a particular way, hmm? but within that, there's some freedom as well. Hmm? Therefore, every every cowherd, every gopi is is different. They have a different dress, a different color and but they're all Madhuriras or Sakiras and so forth. So while the jiva is a unit of will, the Maya Shakti suppresses the will. The more we're under the influence of the Maya Shakti, the less free will we have. Hmm? The more we become like an automaton, the more we become like matter. Hmm? The Sarup Shakti, which Bhakti is constituted of, on the other hand, facilitates the free will. Hmm? That's what it does. Bhagwan's will, he Sankalpa, he wills, and the Shakti makes it happen. Hmm? And so there's a world, and so there's a leela, and so forth. Hmm? He feels like this, and it happens. And the Shakti is the instrument, hmm? the agency by which that happens. So when we come under that influence, then, then in a particular way, in general, hmm? like Madhuryarasa, for example, Gaudiya Sampradaya, and so then we find ourselves attracted to that because because Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was offered that to you, hmm? which is said to be a rare opportunity. Hmm? He's offered you what's, what what this sampradaya is about hmm? through Gaur and Nityananda. Hmm? So some Sakiras there, some Madhuryaras. But let's say you like Madhuryaras. It's been offered to you, so so you have the opportunity to like it. It hadn't been offered to you, so he's offering you come to me in, in these terms and. Then, then the specifics within that, hmm, they can come from from your side to some extent. Hmm? And though it's all manjari bhav for Gauri sampradaya, still each manjari is is a little different. And uh, and the srupa shakti facilitates the will, and so you can say it's a little of both. That there is free will within determinism. So we take a compa- compatibilist position. One is not incompatible with the other. Does that help? Yeah, and um, also 
you said the specifics, so I've heard you say that, like I know Archon asked a question about, and you kept saying it's not material, it's not material, you know, it's not a material thing, so like we have to be on a pretty high level to know what the specifics are too. Oh yeah, yeah because when you attain Ruchi in Sadhana Bhakti, then you have n no other desire. And there's a ruchi associated with bhava. Ruchi bis chitamashrina. Hmm? When, when there's bhava bhakti manifests, there's a ruchi aspect of it. There's taste. It means taste. Hmm? So the mind becomes uh, like, like iron put in the fire. The mind becomes saturated with the Srup Shakti. Hmm? And so there, then this Ruchi is, uh, Jiva Goswami described, has, it's like threefold in characteristic of the desires that manifest. Prapti Abhilas, Sohrid Abhilas, like this, desire to attain Krishna in a particular way, to have a, a particular relationship with Krishna. Hmm? So this this starts then this is in Bhava Bhakti this is this is what your sarup, if you will, is made out of. It starts in Ruchi. These these desires will start to manifest in Ruchi, but the heart is clean. Hmm? So those you could say in general, I'm gonna follow the Madhurya Rasa, you know, I'm gonna follow the Sakyarasa and and these uh, and, and when you come to Ruchi then it starts to really starts to become more specific, but the heart is clean and the desires are coming under the influence of the Sarup Shakti and so forth. Does that help? Yeah. yeah. All right. So, big topic, but we've talked for a long time, so we should stop there and take prasad. Right? Yeah.